We are in our 21 days of prayer and fasting. This is day eight. Amen. Day eight. And uh, man, it's just been amazing. Uh, We've done this for several years now, but I don't think it's been any better than this year. And we've had, I I don't know, the the first morning I came in, um, I shared a little bit on Wednesday night about a spiritual uh, attack that I had had Wednesday morning, and uh, recognizing that that uh, we're going into another level. And so Monday morning, I come in not knowing what we were going to experience when we got here, and uh, I I cannot go into the detail about at this time about the spiritual conflict that I had dealt with starting at 345 Monday morning and it lasted for four hours even through our prayer time here but it was hell on earth I can tell you that but what just started bringing me out of it because I, I don't just let me just let me just go off <laughs> off the notes for a second when you are in true heavenly conflict all of the 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 all of the propping up of your flesh all of this uh stuff of people saying you have you know fight through it you're a warrior you're you're a conqueror you're more than yes i know the scriptural truth that comes with my victory in christ jesus but when you're in the middle of that conflict and it ain't letting go you recognize that the only thing that you have, you have no, you have no means by which to get this junk that off of you. You have no means, and and I know there's few few folks who have experienced because I had never experienced it on that level as I did Monday. But but when you have to come face to face with the reality that without without God you got nothing. Without God you have no ability. To even, I mean, if I got what I deserved, it'd be worse than death. Every one of us. When you come to that reality, it brings a a humbling and a breaking, and, and just a drawing near the Lord. But you know what's what? Just I come in in that condition, and I see a hundred people. We almost had a hundred people at six a.m. on a Monday morning seeking the Lord, and I'm like, Lord, that's it. There's the key right there. And so we are in 21 days of prayer and fasting, and, and it's amazing what God is doing and, and showing up in people's lives. And, and uh, until we get hungry as a church for more than performances on a platform, neat little creative sermons, until we get hungry for Him. <laughs> then the church is going to be weak, ineffective, community will go unchanged. But when we say, I will pay whatever the price to draw near to the heart of God, God takes notice. And he says, I'll bless that. And I'll show up in the middle of that. I know uh, if I were to use the phrase table of the Lord, if you come from a uh, uh, religious background, been churched for a long time, you've heard the phrase Lord's table, the Lord's table. And if I were to use that phrase, and you could Google it if you want, you could Google the phrase Lord's table, you find all kinds of sermon and Bible studies on communion. 
But I want you to know that there is a spiritual table that the Lord desires that you come draw near to communion and be part of it. But there's a spiritual nearness to the heart of God that he causes us to want to draw near and sit at his table and, and, and dine with him. I want you to, I just want to take a couple quick glances at uh, the nation of Israel in Exodus chapter 24 got a vision. They got a, they got a little taste of it. They got to see it. Exodus 24 and uh, verse 9. And it says, then Moses went up, also Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. Now I need to kind of set where this is at in, in, in the history of Israel. Moses has already gone up before the Lord. And he has had some, some interaction with God. God has handed down the law. He has handed down uh, the, uh, the tabernacle and different things that he's supposed to do. And then he says, go ahead and bring the elders up with you. And so he brings the elders up only so far. And at that level, we have Moses and Aaron, the high priest, his sons, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. Next verse. And they saw the God of Israel, and there was under his feet. That, I don't know if you'll caught that. They saw the God of Israel. They saw the God of Israel. Now, we know that, that, the, that Moses later would say, I want to see you. I want to see your glory. Show me your glory. And the Lord said, I'll show you all that you can handle. You, you, you'd, you'd melt on the spot if I showed you all my glory, but I'll show you what you can handle. And they saw the God of Israel as much as they could handle and there was under his feet as if it were a paved work of sapphire stone, and it was like the very heavens in its clarity. They peered into the heavenlies. They got to see into the heavenlies. When you look in Revelation uh, 2 or 3, you will see a similar picture of God in heaven. And, and so they had a little bit of a, they had a, a little bit of a tasting, a sampling of heaven, because it goes on to say uh, in next verse 11, but on the nobles of the children of Israel, he did not lay his hands. So they saw God and they ate and drank. Just, <laughs> I don't know if you, you grasp it. They're climbing up Mount Sinai and there is the Lord and they see him and they sat down and ate and drank together. A spiritual table had been prepared for them. I don't think that they're sitting down having communion. This is... This is something altogether different. They are, they, are, they are pressing into a spiritual closeness with God, and God prepared a table before them. Apparently, they're on a mountainside. And so let's, let's look, let's continue. Let's go on to the next verse of Scripture. That, uh, I want to look at Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22 and uh, verse 29. And I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my father bestowed upon me. Everybody say kingdom. kingdom. We've been singing about the kingdom this morning. I talk about may his kingdom come, may his will be done. He is king. Amen. He is king. And when you come to know him as almighty God and Jesus is king of kings and Lord of lords, when you begin to, to recognize that he is king, then you're going to want his kingdom to expand. And so he said, and Jesus tells his, his apostles, I bestow upon you a kingdom just as my father bestowed one upon me that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. 
that you may eat and drink at my table. This is a spiritual table that he is speaking of, and it is talking about, uh, yes, there's going to be a, a, a wedding feast, a banquet in heaven, but I don't think we have to wait to heaven to get this close to God. He's brought heaven to earth. And so he, Jesus says, I'm bringing you a kingdom. I'm giving you a kingdom. And uh, as, as we continue to, to just kind of unfold that in my mind, Ephesians chapter 2 Verse four, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Amen. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now, I want to ask you English scholars, what tense is that verse of Scripture in? Future? Past. Read it again. Raised. That's past tense. So are we talking about one of these days we'll finally make it to glory and we'll get to sit at his banqueting table? He said, no, spiritually you're already there. Amen. And just like maybe the, the nation of Israel got a little tasting and just a little, a, a little sampling that, that they were able to, to, uh, to, to get a visual and they physically sat and ate and drank together. But, but when we come into the nearness of God, there's something special there. I'm going, I'm going to try and I know, uh, 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 this, I've done this before, uh, try to lay out the tabernacle and I've done it this way today. I'm going to do it this way. And if you, I, I think it's important for us to remind ourselves of the layout, the floor plan of the tabernacle regularly. And so let's just lay it out this way. All right, so let's just imagine that over here is the altar. Over here is the altar. If we're going back to the Old Testament tabernacle, when you were to enter into the gates, the courtyard of the tabernacle, there would be a huge brass barbecue pit known as the altar. And as they would kill the sacrifice, they would cut it up and they would lay it on the altar. The next article in the tabernacle is called the laver. And the laver was a big old basin in which after the, the shedding of the blood, there would be a washing. And, and then as they, as they were prepared out here, they were prepared to go into the holy place. As they go into the holy place, there's other articles inside the holy place. Now, we know that the holy of holies is where the Ark of the Covenant is. And uh, that, that top of the Ark of the tub Covenant is not called the table. It's called the mercy seat. You with me? You're tracking a little bit. God the Father is seated on the throne. The, the tabernacle, the Old Testament tabernacle is, a, is, a, is a, like a a postage stamp picture of what is actually is in the heavenlies. In heaven itself, yes, but in the heavenlies, in the spiritual domain, this is what, this is, we, we call it the tabernacle, and, and then it was later referred to as the temple, and I think you could use the temple as a template for worship. And it starts at the altar where the sacrifice was made, then there's the cleansing that prepares you to go into the holy place. When you go into the holy place, then you have the, the lampstand, which is obviously the Holy Spirit illuminating the holy place. 
you have, if we're just going to go left or right, if you're going to go around into the holy place, and then there's this altar of incense, which is right in front of the veil, that, which separates uh, the holy place for the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant is and the mercy seat, which God the Father is. Holy Spirit, altar of incense is where they would pour these incense out and, and they would go up before the Lord and that incense cloud would intermingle with the glory cloud that went on into heaven. And, and in certain parts, there's one verse of scripture in Hebrews, it refers to that altar of incense actually as being part of the Holy of Holies. Why? Because we are translated into the heavenlies when we are in the business of praying in the book of Revelation, it talks about the incense going before the Lord. It is the prayers of the saints. But there's only one article in all of the scriptures in regard to the tabernacle called the table. And it is the table of showbread on the right-hand side. So when you walk into the holy place, there on the left-hand side, the Holy Spirit is illuminating all. There are prayers before the saints, and there on the right-hand side is the table of showbread, and there's bread and wine on the table. And do you know what showbread means? Because we don't use that word. It means bread of presence. You are now in the presence of God. Jesus himself is the bread. And when we receive him in his presence, you have now entered into a, into a new domain. Everybody with me? Let's go back to the altar. There, uh, and I'm going to preach the cross till the day I die, just like Billy Graham, or as I like to refer to him as Uncle Billy. <laughs> but we were not meant to remain at the cross. You go back and forth. The priest would go back and forth. But if you stop here and don't go here, you, these are the Christians who constantly walk around uh, speaking of nothing more than repentance. There's a, there's a sense of sadness because they know what their sins cost. Are you with me? Those who, go, who stop at the cross... There's a sense, they just have a sense of sadness. There's a, there's a sense of loneliness because they recognize what their sins cost. But, but you can't stop there. You weren't meant to stop there. They were, there was a trail of blood from the altar to the Holy of Holies. Trail of blood. But you aren't meant to stop here. The labor, the, the place of, of, of cleansing. Man, I like to stop there. But you aren't meant to stop. I like to rejoice over the fact that I am clean. Amen. Amen. Uh, yes, over here, I recognize the, the price that was paid for my salvation, the cost of my sin. And if I were to remain there, I'd just be sad. But if I remain here, I'd just be happy. I'm clean, I'm clean, I'm clean. But just recognize that the cleansing was meant to get you into the holy place. Amen. It was, it was preparing you for something deeper, something greater. And this is why the priest, and by the way, church, you are the holy, royal priesthood. We are the royal priesthood. And this template that God has laid out for us is a reminder that Jesus Christ was the sacrifice, the substitutionary atonement. He died in our place that we might have access to the table, to the holiness to the holy place of being near to the heart of God. But if you stop at the cross, Jesus didn't stop at the cross. I want to read a verse of scripture real quick. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. In Hebrews 12, verse 2, 
it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. But he didn't stop there, did he? And has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Y'all with me? Jesus didn't stop at the cross. Neither were you, Christian, meant to just stop at the cross and continue to just, I'm not going to get off the cross. I'm just going to ponder that my sins cost the Son of God his life. But I don't want to live at the cross. I want to make constant trips to the cross. And that's what communion does. But communion is not simply reminding ourselves of that cross, but it is at the table of the Lord in which we are drawing near to the heart of God and drawing in closer fellowship to him. I, uh, I don't want to ever stop short of where God wants me. He don't, he don't want me just to stop there. In fact, Hebrews chapter four uh, five hebrews chapter five let's just read uh, verse 12 on hebrews five twelve. for though by this time you ought to be teachers you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of god you've come to need milk and not solid food and he's talking about spiritual babies the, the, the problem is they shouldn't be spiritual babies at the stage in which the writer of hebrews is talking to them he said you you ought to be grown up by now but I got to go back to the basics because you hadn't grown up. I got to go back to the milk because you hadn't grown up. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he's a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are full age. That is, those who have by reason used their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. Amen. I... I I flip-flop sometimes between sad and mad of complacent, comfortable Christians who don't desire to go any deeper. And, and as a pastor, sometimes I, I, I detect this and, and some, of our, some of our church members, and I want to shake them and say, don't you want to go deeper than this? Don't you want more of God than this? And if it, if it would work, I would shake them. <laughs> but it, but it, nothing seems to shake them. It's like, don't you want more? Taste and see that the Lord is good. And when I've tasted and seen that he's good, I want more. <laughs> he satisfies, and yet at the same time as he satisfies, he increases my desire for more. Amen. And so I want, I want to, I want more. I want more of him. And, and so Paul has said, you, I can't believe you don't want any more. Chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God. Doctrine of baptism. So we, we start the cross and then to the labor, the doctrine of baptism, laying on of hands. And he's saying these are elementary principles. Has everybody got all these worked out? <laughs> Everybody got all these words. This is this is this is uh, first grade, second grade. He's like, surely y'all pass that, right? Of the doctrines of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. He's like, that's basic. Y'all got that, right? Let's move on. But he says, in fact, you hadn't, so I got to go back and teach it again. 
And so, but I want you to look in chapter six, verse 11. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance, full assurance of hope until the end that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Praise God. You know where you get the promises? The promise, the very promises that the nation of Israel, that those 70 elders, they, they, they got a visual of, they got, a, they got a, a little sampling of, they got to sit down at the table. You, you know the very promises that, that Jesus promised his, his, promised his apostles. He says, the Father's giving you the kingdom, and one of these days you're going to sit and you're going to feast with me at the table. Those promises, you know where you get those promises of complete fulfillment that he's talking about? It's in the holy place. It's at his table, feasting on the Lord Jesus and drawing closer to the heart of God. That's where the promises are realized. Amen. And I, I have to tell you, um, if you really, really want that, many of you already have that and you've experienced that and that's why you keep coming back for more. And I praise God for you. You're a blessing to me. But maybe you haven't. Maybe I've kind of wet your appetite for more of the Lord. Maybe the Lord is bringing you into a deeper walk with him and a greater understanding of who he is. And and maybe that's happened. Can I just go ahead and and tell you it's going to cost you? It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you a few things. It's going to cost you and that you can no longer be satisfied. You're going to be dissatisfied with lower level living. You're just going to be dissatisfied with it. it when, when you've been in the fire, you can't be satisfied with the smoke. <laughs> and, and so lower level living won't satisfy you anymore. Worldly living, just, it just won't satisfy you. So, so you're going to be dissatisfied with some things in your own life and, and, and in, in your own circles. You're just like, that doesn't, even, that doesn't even appeal to me anymore. God knows something greater. I, I, I know that God's got something more. And so those things dissatisfy me. So you're going to be dissatisfied with some of the things of this world. And then you're also going to be disappointed. There's going to be some disappointment uh, with some of those who name themselves as a child of God. Over the course of my, my ministry, that's probably been my greatest struggle is, Lord, I'm supposed to be leading I'm, I'm supposed to be leading into greater depth, greater knowledge. And I got some folks, Lord, that I come across all the time. All the time. They just don't seem to care. And you just kind of get dis, disappointed. Like, Lord, why don't, why don't they care? Why don't they want more from you? Why don't want, uh, not more from you, more of you? Why don't they want more of you? And it's just like, Lord, I just get a little disappointed. And so there will be a kind of, of a sadness when you recognize that, that I know what it's like in this holy place and, and, and you're going to want to be in here, but you find the folks really don't care. And so you just kind of be disappointed in some of those things and, and it will cost you that. The other thing that it could cost you is you may have to fight through hell to get there. Most of us know the 23rd Psalm. You have prepared a table before me. Where? In the presence of my enemies. And if you've been, if you've drifted out of his presence into the presence of the enemies, 
they're gonna, you're going to have to fight through hell to get back to his presence. Because they don't want to let you go. And it may be emotional or intellectual uh, wranglings and wrestlings. It, it may be relationships that need to stop. It may be uh, some practices that need to stop. But, it, but if, if you want to get in there to the Lord's table, there's some things that you're, you're willing to part with. So if it costs so much to have that absolute intimacy with God the Father, if it costs so much to, to, to be there in that place of fellowship where you have broken through, you have broken through the garbage of your own thought life and, and, and the filth of this world, you've broken through. I've finally gotten in here with the Lord and, and, and the illumination of the Holy Spirit. By the way, isn't it interesting that the tabernacle does not look like the Taj Mahal? The glory is on the inside. The glory is on the inside. So many want to look at this. Oh, look at this amazing building, this awesome edifice. No, the glory is on the inside. That You would see the Shekinah glory of God, this, this column of fire and smoke rising from the inside. And you're like, I wonder where, I want to be where that's at. Well, it's on the inside. So don't stop short. Press all the way in. Press all the way in. And, and, and then just one, this is just a thought. When Jesus was walking through the city and there's people all around him and there's one woman who is absolutely desperate. She'd, been, she'd had an issue of blood for 12 years, which meant that she was spiritually unclean. She wasn't fit for, she couldn't go into the temple complex and, and worship there. She, people would avoid her. She was physically weak. She had all of these issues. She had been bleeding for 12 years. And she was so absolutely desperate. It said everyone was pressing in on Jesus. This is what his disciples, Jesus, what do you mean? Who touched you? Everybody's pressing in on him. He said, yeah, everybody's pressing in on him, but somebody touched me. <laughs> Amen. Everybody is trying to press in and push in and try to get to me. And they're wanting me for my stuff, but somebody touched me. And when she touched me, the power, he said, I felt the power move into her. Amen. And so I pray that we would not just be pressing in to the holy place, but that we would touch him. That we would touch you. So if it costs so much to get there, well, when you reach that point of desperation, as of saying, I got no other hope. I've, I've got nowhere else to turn. None of the things of this earth could satisfy or fix me. None of the things of this world could bring about what I need. But when I, when I so desperate to touch the Lord, as Paul said, oh, I want to know him. He said that I might gain Christ. In other words, more. I want more. Then I get so desperate, I don't care the cost. Yesterday as we had our time of prayer, I'm standing at the back of the church visiting with some of our young new Christians, and we were talking about fasting and different facets of fasting. And, and uh, you know, and, they, and they're learning, and I love it. I love I love it when people are hungry for more knowledge and they were learning. And, and I said, you know, basically it all amounts to I'm desperate. 
I'm desperate. Because this brother had shared with one of our other local pastors uh, uh, what we do with prayer and fasting. And, and, uh, and he, he said, uh, wow. And, and this brother is a re- great friend of mine. And he said, wow, Brother Eric really takes that serious, doesn't he? I said, yeah, brother. I said, uh, it's more along the lines of I'm desperate. I'm desperate to know exactly what it is to be so close to God that I can't tell if I'm in heaven or on earth. I'm so desperate that, that I just want to pull it push aside all the finaglings of men and, and how they tell you that you're supposed to grow a church. And I want to push all that aside and say, but Lord, what do you want? What do you want? How will you move in our community? Uh, that's what I'm desperate for. And it doesn't matter what it costs. It doesn't matter what it costs. If it costs me relationships, if it, if it costs me a few meals, pfft. so what? If it costs me an hour of sleep, boy, the, the, the value of what you gain isn't even close to what you pay for it. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. And so I just pray that we would all be hungry for more. Yeah. Blessed are they who hunger. Blessed are they who hunger, for they'll be filled. Father God, make us hungry if we're not. I pray that you'd make us desperate if we are. If we're hungry, make us desperate, even hungrier. So much to the point where we think this is life and death. I've got to have more. Not interested in playing church. Not interested in a pre-packaged system or thought of, of this is how God is. So many who know you secondhand by hearing of someone's theology that they passed down from a pulpit. But we're not a people like that. We're desperate. We want to know you personally. We ask that you would draw us closer and our desires for more of you. And then as we make that decision to draw closer to you, you have told us the promise of your scripture says, blessed are those who draw near, that if we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. It's a promise that as we draw near to you, you'll draw near to us. You ain't never broke a promise. pray that we would count the cost as Jesus told us, count the cost it's going to cost you a little bit Father that we would not stop short and say oh that costs too much failing to see that all, all that we would gain all that we would gain as we draw near to your table in Jesus name